Hello, and welcome to Banking Transformed. I'm your host, Jim Maroos, founder and CEO of the Digital Banking Report and co-publisher of the financial brand. When you think of global leaders in digital banking, the conversation must start with Tencent-backed WeBank, the first digital-only bank in China. Launched at the end of 2014, WeBank has experienced extraordinary growth with digital technology that is considered an industry best. Today, WeBank has over 200,000 customers and is the leader in assets, loans, net profits, return on equity, and other major categories in the Chinese digital banking space. WeBank was founded with the mission of providing affordable, accessible, appropriate, and sustainable banking services for the underserved individuals and small businesses. As opposed to being a bank with technology advantages, it is a shining example of a technology company with banking licenses. We caught up with Henry Ma, Executive Vice President and CIO of WeBank, who I met back in January when I visited WeBank in Shenzhen. During the podcast, Ma discusses WeBank's mission of delivering financial inclusion at scale by leveraging AI, blockchain, cloud technology, and big data. So welcome to the show, Henry. Uh, so much has happened in the world since I visited you and your team in Shenzhen in January, not only from a pandemic perspective, but also in the banking world as organizations globally try to meet the needs of an increasingly digitally aware consumer. As the largest bank in China, WeBank is often considered the most progressive financial institution in the world, leveraging the advanced technologies to deliver banking services to, I believe it's over 200 million consumers. Can you tell our audience who may not be familiar with WeBank a bit about your company and what makes it different from other banks in China and globally? Jim, first of all, let me extend my uh, gratitude to you for inviting me to uh, join your podcast. It's really my honor to, to share the WeBank story today. For those of you not too familiar with WeBank, we are actually the very first privately funded bank and digital-only bank in China. We got incorporated at the end of 2014. And when we first got started, we already like emphasized that we, we have a mission to fulfill. We really want to focus on improving the accessibility and also the quality of financial services for the underbank and, uh, and even unbanked individuals and SME, especially the micro SMEs in China. We try to leverage as much leading edge technology as possible to drive our business model and also constantly conduct uh, research and applications on what we call the ABCD of fintech. Uh, AI, blockchain, cloud computing, and big data. And you are correct to, to point out that we are already serving more than 200 million individual clients and also 1.3 million SME clients. So over the course of a little more than five years, we actually have achieved quite a bit. Even by China's standards, WeBank's growth has been incredible, far outpacing the growth of any banking organization worldwide. How can you achieve this growth and how is it supported and how many transactions are processed daily? We actually have a in-house built uh, and in-house design architecture. And uh, one of the business day in 2019, we processed more than 574 million transactions in a single day. Right. I mean, this is the kind of scale that you're probably looking at the largest bank uh, in the world. 
But the, the, the transactions that we process are, are quite different from what a traditional bank would be processed because we have a lot of low-value transactions. The ticket size are, are typically very, very small. So this is a very unique aspect of our WeBank. How many employees do you have right now? And, and how many would you say are in the R&D part of your business? We actually have just a little more than 2,000 full-time employees at WeBank. And actually more than 56% of them are in the um, technology space. They're either doing programming, coding, uh, you know, architecture design, or data scientists. Right. So we put a very, very strong emphasis on technology. We talk about the fact that we process um, hundreds of millions of transactions, right? But we are not relying on any like proprietary mainframe-based technology. We build all of these by ourselves, all based on open source technology, commoditized hardware, so that we can drive the cost as much as possible. Because we really want to serve the tail end part of the market who are underbanked or unbanked, right? So who are typically like blue collar workers, uh, very, very small mom and pop shops. So these are the, the kind of the market which is highly overlooked by the banking industry from before. And we try to like tackle this uh, financial inclusion uh, topic with technology. Although China is one of the largest economies in the world, it's also home to one of the largest unbanked populations in the world. How do you serve this market profitably and effectively when the foundation of much of your business is payments and small-dollar loans? The key is to really try to tackle this particular market with a vastly different cost structure. Because if you're looking at like incoming banks, right, the, the reason why they wouldn't try to tackle this um, towering part of the market is because it's too costly for them to run a sustainable business based on the cost structure that they have. So in developing markets, and especially the ones with high population, we see long-term market opportunity to be the one that we should be focusing on. We really want to tackle and untap part of the market rather than competing with the thousands of banks who are already around. So we really try to use technology in, in a different way to try to drive down the cost as much as possible. The distributed architecture that I just talked about, like uh, which we de design and build by our in-house staff, we're able to actually drive down the IT operation costs substantially. Um, if you look at the number that we had in 2019, the per account IT operation cost is only 3.6 RMB, which is you know, very much around 50 cents US. This is actually only one pair. That's actually about a tenth or less of what a traditional legacy bank costs per customer. I mean, I, 50 cents, the amount of cost to handle a traditional bank customer, it could be as much as 20 or 30 times that amount. That's amazing. In, in fact, we talked to a lot of peers in the banking industry, right? In China, the number is probably 10 times of what we are paying right now, right? And But even if you're talking about like multinational banks, the number could be 20 or 30 times higher. So the cost savings that we achieve enable us to actually serve the target market, which is the individual consumers and also the, uh, the micro SMEs with the kind of products that we offer to them, which are typically very low ticket size. When we met, 
one of the things that you said was, we have an idea of what every single customer costs us, but because of our low cost and our, because of our, our platform and technology, we can handle even those segments that might be, let's say, underwater financially, that may not be able to be as well served by other financial institutions, but you can even serve those that might be at a loss initially, correct? Yes. In fact, like majority of the customers that we serve don't really like bring us a very large ticket size in terms of loan size, right? As of today, the average ticket size that we're talking about for indiv- individual customers is still around 8,000 RMB, which is you know, even less than like 1,500 US. And for the micro SMEs that we are serving, the average ticket size is 200,000 RMB, around like 30 something thousand US. So these are very, very small uh, loan size that we are talking about. And in fact, if you look at the numbers on our annual report uh, for 2019, the average revenue per user is only around 10 USD. And if you compare that to other incumbent banks, they are typically more than 10 times higher in China. And for foreign banks, it's probably like a multiple of that, right? 20 or 30 times. And yet, we are still being able to build a very sustainable business. We have been able to make profit since 2015. So this is important. You, you have to tackle the market with a different cost structure and build a sustainable business. And you know, at the same time, being able to achieve the goal of achieving financial inclusion to include as many customers in your portfolio as possible even though some of them may be causing you a loss. So how important is simplicity and speed in the delivery of financial services to the segment? For instance, how fast can a consumer go from a request for a loan to receiving funds? And how do you handle the know your customer requirements? You have to look at it in two angles. The very first part is applying for a credit. In fact, based on a lot of the big data technology that we have adopted and, and, and also the, the, the credit model that we have pre-built, uh, when a customer tries to apply for a credit from us, it typically takes them less than five seconds. In fact, five seconds is the commitment that we give up to the customers. Now, when they are interested to apply for a line of credit, then we, we want to show them a number, which is the line of credit, within five seconds after they give all their consents right, and agree to the terms and conditions. Right? And then the second part is when they try to do a drawdown. That can actually happen anytime during the day. We operate 7 by 24, right? So when the customer try to do a drawdown, again, I mean, it's only a few clicks away. And they can do a drawdown and the money will be deposited into their associated bank account within minutes. In fact, typically the money will go out of the bank within a second. And it only actually takes a while for the receiving bank to process the transactions. So typically, our customer will expect to actually be able to see the fund in their account within a few minutes. So this is the kind of customer experience that we are trying to offer to the market. And exactly, I mean, this is also the kind of customer experience that our target segment would expect from services like us because they are very much used to the, the internet experience. Everything is only a few clicks away and everything happens in real time. So how do they apply so quickly? I mean, do they do it on their phone then? I mean, how do they fill out the information that they want alone so quickly on your platform? In fact, we work with a lot of internet platforms. 
So we, we essentially we embed our financial products into our partner platforms, and we also work with our partner platforms and leverage the data and the user base that they have, and do a lot of like pre underwriting on the users. So essentially, the, when we work with a particular platform, the user will get pre-underrated and also receive an invitation from us. Once the user accepts the invitation, essentially, we have already got some idea of what kind of like credit worthiness these users deserve, right? When they actually accept the consent, then we start trying to grab data, external data sources from outside, and then put all those data into a real-time computation model and come up with the final number to show the, to the customers. So this is how it works. Everything is happening on the mobile. They don't even have to interact with any real person to apply for a credit. So strict food processing, very streamlined process, very quick response. That's the kind of uh, experience that we try to offer. So do you use biometrics to do the know your customer component of what your lending process is? We use biometrics to actually verify the identity of the customers. So this is also something I think in the, in, in our market, uh, people are very much getting very used to, for example, doing a facial scan or like using like a, a fingerprint, for example. A lot of the education on the user behavior has already been completed uh, over the years. And that's why like, the adoption become relatively straightforward. We just completed a report on digital lending in the U.S. and we found that about 70% of the organizations now can do an end-to-end online or mobile application. What was interesting, though, is the amount of time it takes for that application to go from application to disbursement is, in many cases, five to 10 minutes or even 10 minutes and beyond. It is amazing the speed at which you're able to process that. And again, the foundation is data in the cloud. You know, as you said, also, the the ability to embed your services within other application obviously works to your advantage. When we visited, you allowed us to see your command center. It's something that will be embedded in my mind probably forever. On one wall was your control panel showing you real-time transaction data while surrounding us was the customer support center. Can you share with our audience a bit about the number of product and service upgrades you introduce each month and the amount of time it takes to go from ideation to implementation within the innovation structure at WeBank? Jim, I'm really glad you pointed this out because we actually spend quite a bit of time to build up our command center because of the fact that we operate in a, a fully digital way. We don't really have a lot of physical footprints, right? So when people come over and really want to understand our business, we don't have any facility. We don't have much facility to show them, right? We don't have a branch, right? We don't have a lot of people. We don't have tellers like showing up, interact with them. So that's why we build a command center so that for our visitors, they will be able to have a feel of how digital banking business really look like in action. We emphasize a lot on agility. We actually brought up a question about how frequent we uh, actually make updates to, to our platform. We could be doing like hundreds or maybe even thousands of updates in a single month. In fact, unlike a typical banking institution where uh, they want to uh, control the number of changes to their environment as much as possible to mitigate the change risk, we actually operate in a very agile way because the architecture that we have adopted is fully distributed. It actually operates more like a massively parallel computing kind of architecture. 
we run multiple cores. In fact, as of this point, we are already running more than 100 deposit cores and another 100 loan cores in our server farm. So every time we want to make some new changes to our system, we actually randomly pick one or two cores, apply the, uh, the updates, the new features, the new products on those cores, and then try it out with real customers. And because of the fact that we are only changing the features, uh, the products on a, a certain percentage, or in fact, a very small percentage of the customer, even if things go wrong, it's not going to create uh, too big of an impact. And that's exactly how we actually manage, uh, maintain a very high availability for our platform because the change factor is always something that banks uh, a small concern about. And because of that, I mean, we, we can substantially cut down the testing cycle because when we do things in the traditional way, you'll probably spend months and months of doing testing and still hesitate to go live. But in our case, we want to do sufficient testing maybe a week or two, and then you know, try to put it onto production and test it out with real customers. And if you see very positive feedback, then you apply the same changes to the rest of the cores. This kind of methodology actually enables us to move very fast. In fact, the record that we hold is going from ideation to production. We can actually complete that within 10 days. <laughs> this is a record that we uh, recently achieved. Before this, we, it was 11 days. But just during the COVID pandemic, we have a product that we really want to roll out to the SMB segment in a very responsive manner. So we actually cut it down further. We, we, we complete the product. Actually, the very first time that we talk to our partner in day one, and then we get the product delivered on day 10. I mean, that, that's the kind of you know, speed that we are looking at. I remember when we visited you, one of the people I was with, Dave Wallace, you asked him in our meeting, how long do you think it takes us to go from the beginning to the ending of innovation process? And we even tried to make up a number that we thought would be really fast, and we missed it by a lot. <laughs> the fact that you can do this in 10 days in a in a true innovation, not just a, a little process change or anything like that. And the, and the fact that you handle dozens, if not hundreds of adjustments to your platform because you're running parallel cores, it's really showing the benefit of building as a digital organization to begin with, then trying to implement digital against a traditional platform. Because again, it's a cultural as well as a technology play. So to support this level of innovation in real-time database interaction, you mentioned that WeBank relies on the ABCDs of fintech, AI, blockchain, cloud, and data. What advantage has this provided you in the marketplace? I think there are five areas that we really want to leverage these um, ABCD technology to optimize our operation. We really want to uh, optimize our efficiency. Uh, we want to improve our user experience. We want to be able to scale up quick and also in a very cost-effective manner. And we want to drive down uh, our operation costs. And also, we want to better mitigate our risk. So there are examples of how we actually leverage ABCD to achieve these uh, five objectives. For example, like for AI, right? we, we actually run our, our customer service very much based on artificial intelligence. Our chat board nowadays is handling more than 1 million inquiries per day, you know, just on a regular day. And 
I mean, these inquiries being handled by our chatbots account for more than 98% of the total incoming customer inquiries. Imagine if we don't apply AI to serve our customer, we'll end up hire a lot of uh, customer service representatives, right? which in terms uh, imply very high operation costs for us. So this is a good, very good example of how we use AI. Right? And for blockchain, we actually apply blockchain in recording a lot of the transactional details as uh, digital evidence onto blockchain. And we partner up with um, a lot of organizations like arbitration committees in China, in various parts of China. So all these electronic evidence will be recognized by these arbitration committees. So whenever there's a dispute coming up from our customer, that can be resolved in a much shorter period of time. In fact, we were able to drive down the dispute resolution cycle from the typical one month or, or even more to within seven days. I mean, this is how we apply blockchain to solve real business problems, real business pain points. For cloud computing, we, we build our private cloud and everything runs on uh, private cloud and, and we don't rely on proprietary technologies. And that's how we achieve the scalability that we have today, right? Hundreds of millions of transactions in a single day and still being able to maintain a very low cost, like 50 cents per account per year and also high availability. I mean, a lot of people overlook that part because as a bank and especially a bank operate uh, 7 by 24, we really want to have as little downtime as possible. And in fact, the first part of this year, we already achieved 99.999% of availability in terms of the overall availability of our system. This is already a, a telco-grade kind of availability number. And this is probably the, the very first time we hear about that in banking or financial industries. And also big data, right? Uh, we talk about the fact that we want to provide very streamlined experience for our customers so that we do a lot of like pre-underwriting based on the very objective data that we and our partner would be able to get hold of. And also leveraging big data to do precision marketing, to reach out to very specific audience who may be in need of the financial products that we offer. So these are the, the, the kind of ways that we apply this technology to, to address the business uh, requirements that we have. You also have had a recent foray into open source banking. Can you describe that a little bit? Yes, because of the fact that we use a lot of open source technologies to build our whole banking architecture, we truly believe in open source. We fully embrace open source. We really believe that this is the way to um, uh, leverage technologies to enable our business and also our industry to be more digital ready. Right? To us, we heard a lot of talking around open banking. We believe that open banking is actually more than the kind of API banking that a lot of people define it as. So in the year before, we actually announced the strategy that we have around um, the so-called three open paradigm, namely, which is the open platform, open innovation, and open collaboration. And open platform, I think, is uh, very much the same concept as the, the API banking that a lot of people actually put a, a equate to the idea of open banking. But we believe that open innovation and open collaboration is really the next level of um, openness for open banking. And the open, open innovation part, we, because of the fact that we 
we actually benefit a lot from open source technology. We really want to open up our technology stack for our industry and, and even others as well. So, so far, we, uh, we actually have open sourced more than 20 projects in the area of ABCD. An area particularly worth mentioning is uh, around uh, artificial intelligence and blockchain. Because artificial intelligence, we uh, actually open sourced the, the federated learning framework, what we call FATE, and also donated to the uh, Linux Foundation. And our blockchain platform, uh, Fiscal Because, which is already the leading blockchain platform uh, in China, uh, which is, again, the development is led by VBank, but we actually uh, released the source code to the open source community, and it is a very active community right now. And, and a lot of uh, Chinese uh, developers and even like developers from outside of China have been participating in the further development. And we see not just ourselves benefiting from the fast pace of development of these open source technologies, but also the whole industry will be able to benefit from it. And we strongly believe that when we and our partner are more digital ready, we'll be able to go into the next phase, which is uh, what we term uh, the open collaboration phase, where ecosystem will be able to um, interconnect and also interoperate with each other. And this is the, the, the vision that we hold. And that's why we really want to put a lot of resources to promote the, the open source culture within our organizations. Regulations and regulators in every country are both proponents and sometimes barriers to innovation in financial services. How does WeBank work with regulators and are there any challenges from the traditional banks in your region? I think that's typically the case. Like you talk about the fact that they are proponents but also create like obstacles for innovation. I think it's um, pretty much the same everywhere. And even in our case, a lot of the innovations that we work on initially, I think because of lack of understanding, people will be skeptical. So that's why we emphasize a lot on early communication with our regulators. We have very frequent dialogues with them. And even more importantly, we believe that a lot of the technologies as a bank or as a fintech that we have developed will also be able to apply in the fintech space, in the regtech space. So that's why we also volunteer to do a lot of technology projects, regtech projects for our regulator so that we have a healthy and constant dialogue with the regulators, understand what their requirements are, so that on one hand, uh, they have higher transparency, but at the same time, they see us more as partners as well. I think this is very important. Once you have the transparency, you have the trust, you have the understanding, I think a lot of innovations can actually happen much quicker and also you will be able to see more support from the regulator as well. So with all the learnings you've had at WeBank over the last five years and the use of technology to drive efficiency, are you exporting any of this expertise to other Chinese banks? And do you see an opportunity to do the same maybe outside China? We have been leveraging a lot of our technologies to enable a lot of the city commercial banks, the, the rural commercial banks in China, you know, who actually don't necessarily have the technology talents to help them build a very sophisticated banking platform. But not just banks. We actually see the technologies that we have developed would be able to benefit a, a much wider audience. So that's why like, over the years, we have been... like. Um, leveraging the technologies so to work with a lot of partners, banks and even non-banks. 
I think these capabilities that we have built are actually quite universally applicable. And especially, I think, if we talk about like um, even outside of China, right, in developing economies where the banking coverage are still low due to the, uh, the, the costly uh, infrastructure that they currently have, um, we see a lot of opportunities. That's why we are also actively promoting a lot of the, the open source technologies that we have released to the community. Because like, essentially, a lot of the partners in China and outside of China will be able to uh, make good use of these open source technology at zero cost or at very low cost. But at the same time, uh, we are also open to engage other international fintech innovators in utilizing the technologies to build their own innovative business model. And this is the kind of collaboration model that we are trying to um, explore because outside of China, we may not have the market knowledge. Uh, we don't really know the, uh, the, the customer behavior. We, we don't know the, uh, the regulation, the local regulations as, as much. So by working through some partners, they will be able to actually leverage technology that we offer and build an innovative business model and operate the business themselves. And we see that as an as a even-win situation between us and, and these potential partners. No startup or fintech firm ever does everything right. It's not always something that goes according to plan. What challenges has WeBank faced in the expansion process, both domestically and internationally, or what challenges have you faced as an organization as you've learned going along the way? Like any other startup, I mean, we also face a lot of challenges, especially in the very beginning. A very good example is like, we also have very limited budget from the very start. Uh, so it's actually important that for any startup to uh, try to be successful in the, in the long term, it's important to think big, but also being able to start small. So the, the work upfront is very important. It's actually imperative to come up with the right blueprint from the beginning. And this blueprint should be able to enable us to start even with very limited investment and then enable us to grow in a very iterative and organic way and able to scale up along the way, um, not having to tear down and rebuild everything from time to time. Uh, which is both costly and wasting precious time. I think this is really the kind of approach that a lot of startups should think about. And having the right blueprint in mind, but being able to start humble, start small, and scale up uh, iteratively. So finally, Henry, as you look at WeBank going forward, if you were to look in the future, heck, we, we know now that we can't ever predict the future, but if you're looking in the next 12 months, where do you see WeBank going in the next 12 months that should excite the public? I think on one hand, we have been very successful in the uh, consumer finance uh, kind of area. And this is where we actually built a pretty good set of products around this segment. But since 2017, we have been focusing a lot to, to try to tackle the, uh, the SMB market as well. And I think because of COVID-19, um, because of the impact of the pandemic, we actually were able to accelerate a lot of the uh, development around the SME financial services. And we are gradually seeing some very positive results out of that. And because of the fact that during the pandemic, you know, a lot of these SMEs that we are serving, they have liquidity challenges. And we just come right in time 
because of the pure digital and online experience that we bring to these companies, right? It's very handy. At the time when they were not able to assess, go to a bank's branch or talk to the bank's customer representatives, we were able to step in and offer them services. So this part of the business scaled up pretty well. Uh, during the pandemic. And I think this is what we are going to um, tell the world. I mean, WeBank we is not a, a bank who can actually serve individual customers well, but also for SME clients, even though naturally we don't really have a lot of resources to tap into this particular segment. And we were able to leverage the opportunity that come up because of the pandemic and actually build a you know, pretty sizable and robust uh, business out of this segment. Yeah, I, I think answering your question, I think this is probably the, uh, the very important showcase uh, that we can achieve uh, in 2020. Again, thank you so much for being on the show today, Henry. And, and you know, I'm hoping that we can very soon meet again in person. Yeah. It was a highlight of my trip to Shenzhen. It, it's so much fun. You get a peek in the future and it, it's fun to see what's possible, especially in a global banking environment that, we still are stuck very much in the past. I really look forward to seeing you sometime soon, Jim. Hopefully the border will actually be reopened very soon and uh, we can start traveling again. And when you can fly over to Asia, please make sure you put a stop at Shenzhen and Hong Kong and uh, we can catch up and um, talk more about like how the uh, digital banking will go uh, down the road. That interview, to me at least, was amazing with a capital A. Talking to Henry Ma from WeBank gives you an idea of the possible. Everything they're doing is focused on technology, data, and the ability to use analytics to drive an immediate solution. I mean, you know, we just came out with a digital banking report talking about lending in five to 10 minutes on a mobile device. They do it in seconds and at a cost of 50 cents a customer. I think we all have to take notice and realize that building a digital bank from the ground up, product by product, not relying on traditional thought processes and ways of doing business is the future. And just because it's in China does not mean it's not gonna come over here or that another organization is not gonna be able to replicate that. Thanks for listening to Banking Transformed, raise a top five banking podcast. Please take a minute to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app. And most importantly, please don't forget to give our show a five-star rating. While it only takes a minute, these ratings are very important as we try to expand the distribution of Banking Transformed to more potential listeners. Also, be sure to catch my latest articles on the financial brand and check out the research we're doing for the Digital Banking Report on digital transformation, retail banking innovation, the digital customer experience, and financial marketing. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcast. A special thank you to our producer, Leah Longbreak, and audio engineer, Sean Rule Hoffman. I'm your host, Jim Roos. Until next time, have a great week. You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. 
Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.